Hey everyone, and welcome to Small Biz Gone Viral, an attempt via podcast to humanize the impact COVID-19 is having on small businesses, and more importantly, the humans that run them. I'm Grant LeBeau, your host and small business owner starting to run out of breath trying to outrun the COVID monster in this pandemic nightmare. As an extrovert who didn't want to be alone in this nightmare, I figured other small business owners probably could also use a friend, hence why we are here today. If you know a small business owner who has struggled, please share this episode with them. Even if they don't listen, at least they'll feel seen slash heard. Okay, time for our fun fact. Yay! Today's fun fact, or lack thereof, is a scary potential for gender equality in the workforce. There are estimates that 40% of women could leave the workforce if schools don't reopen. If the other black and white option is just to open schools no matter what, without a plan, that doesn't seem so great either. So, today's fun hope is that we find creative solutions that allow for full employment without compromising the health of students, faculty, parents, and society at large. And it just so happens that our guest Liz Gulliver is rapidly growing her company, Kunik, to meet the challenge of the times, helping companies support their working parents, which of course is made that much more difficult with schools closed. But first, our facts and figures. Here are some numbers from the week of September 4th, and for once, I have good news on COVID, unemployment, and the stock market, though, of course, all three come with serious caveats. Let's start with COVID. There are roughly 7 million cases worldwide, 36% of which are in the U.S., down from an April high of 43%. Remember, though, we only have 4% of the world's population. In spite of recently declining new cases, 900 Americans are still dying every day, bringing our total above 190,000 total deaths. Silver lining, if there can be one, new COVID cases in the U.S. have dropped from 67,000 in mid-July down to 42,000. So, theoretically, the daily death rate should also subsequently fall as well. Weekly unemployment filings are down to 881,000, which is the lowest since COVID began, though that number would have been a record prior to COVID. The biggest piece of good news is that national unemployment dropped to 8.4%, far surpassing estimates. The bad news is a large amount of the quarter million government jobs added were temporary jobs related to the census. The stock market is just plain bananas. It's up over 60% from its mid-March low. And rather than throw a bunch of more numbers at you, here is what CEO Kevin Smith of the asset management firm Crescat Capital had to say. Quote, U.S. equities trade at truly record valuations, a full-blown mania. Ongoing policy rescue has perverted both free market accountability and price discovery, creating a simultaneous zombie economy and stock market bubble, which is unsustainable. End quote. Essentially, government intervention, both direct and indirect, are helping contribute to historic market highs that theoretically should not be going hand in hand with historically high unemployment. The best news of all, though, is how great our guest is. My guest today is Liz Gulliver, whose company Kunik helps working parents navigate the impossible, 
Working while parenting. Coming from a background in finance, she noticed top talent leaving the workplace to be a parent, something she found especially worrisome and hyper-relevant as she prepared to enter parenthood herself. With the pandemic here to stay, the need to support parent employees has obviously never been greater. Especially as an aspiring parent myself, I am so excited to hear what Liz and Kunick are doing to meet the rapidly evolving needs of parents, especially with the uncertainty surrounding schools reopening or not in the fall. Hey Liz, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited because I feel like your business is now essentially more, I don't know if it's more relevant than ever, but it's certainly getting more news coverage than ever. Give us the, the, the quick elevator pitch on Kunick and what it does and, and who it serves. Absolutely. So Kunick partners with employers to provide their working parent employees with ongoing care, and we accomplish it through community and expert coaching. And it's, you're right, it's never been more relevant in the sense that parents have never had to juggle more, always been a challenge, but particularly so right now, and especially acute. So it's been a, a busy and interesting time for us, for sure. But we target all parents, inclusive to everyone, and up through 18 years of age. So pretty much anybody who has a kid and is working right now, which is a massive segment of the workforce. Yeah, that's one of those where if you're, if you're doing a... a a business plan competition and you're like if we can just get one percent of the whole of, of, the, <laughs> exactly. of the whole market we'll be rich like, my tam is huge so if we can just nail down a tiny part we're good exactly so tell us about your background and what has kind of what brought you to the starting point of kunik what inspired you to to make that happen yeah, you know, a lot of people assume that I worked in HR because it, we work with companies directly, but I've actually never worked in HR in my life. I come totally from finance and have always been in finance, but I think that is part of what drove me into this in that I was always in an all-male dominated setting. I worked in hedge funds, I worked in private equity, I worked in investment consulting, I worked at big banks, and as I went through, took a pause for business school, went back into finance, when I, I got married and was starting to think about having a kid and I looked around and I always knew there were very few women in finance and fewer the higher up you got. And it never really bothered me. I kind of saw it as a challenge actually until I started thinking about having a kid. And then I saw zero women with children in positions above me. And I started seeing friends who went to business school or college with me leaving the workforce to take care of their kids and people that I would not have expected to have left the workforce the more I dug into that and waited, you know, to have a kid and kind of thought, okay, what's, what's this going to do to my career? The more I saw how broken that system was and how little support there was for working parents in general, women in particular, but really any working parents. I mean, I saw on my team in finance, I remember dads who had kids and were back in the office 24, 48 hours later. And that was certainly the norm, no matter what the written policy was, that was the norm. So it was really that experience in finance and seeing so little support for, for working moms in that that drove me to dig into the space and, and look for a solution because what I saw was that there was more innovation in maternal health and wellness, which is an, an important part, but certainly not the only part of, of being a parent. And I say that sitting here six months pregnant. So I understand it's important, but it's not the only part. And there was nothing you know, in that ongoing window, once you get back from leave and throughout, throughout the rest of your, your career and your time as a parent. 
So that's, it was that background in finance that really inspired me to dig in and, and found Kunik and my business partner also came from finance. So it was the two of us were, were living in that world and seeing the same thing. Gosh, I have so many follow-up questions. So the, <laughs> the latest stat that I saw was that women on average make 81 cents on the dollar that men do. And mm-hmm. it's, and I think that I, I remember in one of the econ classes that I took that part, part of that was attributed to, uh, women, uh, emphasizing in their, in the jobs that they were picking, uh, flexibility over necessarily, uh, uh, I don't know, versus all else, I guess. And, yeah. and, and part of that, I guess, is what you just brought up, which I I had never thought about, and part of that is like I'm not yet in that window of my life, although we're you know certainly on on the on the horizon. Is that okay, men? Maybe you get paternity leave. Maybe it's written, but in you know, in practice, it's probably not taken. In in certainly in the the jobs that you were just talking about in the industries uh, that where you come from, but then also the lack of support for post maternity leave, right? So it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, you get your three months or six months if you're working at like, I don't know, Patagonia, but then what happens? And I, Patagonia exactly. might not be the best example because they like were, you know, like the what industry. Happens, Patagonia is actually really great. Then right. I know. I know. It's actually really bad. No, I'm saying like Patagonia is like the outlier. Yeah, like they're, they are you know, extreme. There was, I mean, if you read uh, Yvonne Schoenard's book, Let My People Go Surfing, of he basically course. talks about how like they like pioneered in work daycare. Exactly. And what that's, I mean, he, he did it from a moral sense of duty and obligation and, and, and that it was the right thing to do. But what it's done for their ROI is, unbelievable yeah and i think that is something that is maybe was was not i don't know wasn't thought about wasn't incorporated into the the rationale or whatever for like you know the the old school way of just like grind it out like don't talk about feelings in the workplace whatever but really the bottom line is the bottom line right Mm -hmm. if you if you can alleviate stresses from your highly trained highly efficient uh employees they will be extra efficient and will make you more money and so it's an investment not necessarily just like a uh just a just a pure cost of of convenience so what no question on it's one of the parts that always confuses me the most is how how misunderstood that or how little companies want to acknowledge that aspect especially companies that are already paying for three or six months off that's a huge investment. Why would you, why would any CFO not want to back that investment up with a fraction of the cost to provide some kind of ongoing support, especially when most of the off-ramping happens to your senior level people later on in their career when their kids face bigger challenges. So that's the biggest hit to your bottom line and they're paying $0 to protect that when for very little amounts of money they can protect that talent. It never you're absolutely right and that never adds up. Right. And and when you say like the, the senior talent, what is embedded in that statement is the highest value talent. Absolutely. Right. You're, you're not saying like, hey, you know, we had a cash register or a cashier who has, you know, six weeks of on the job training and now they're going to go back to school. OK, yeah, well, we lose them. That's like the nature of, of you know, kind of the, the early entry level jobs in hospitality. You know, you're talking about like 15, 20 years of industry experience mm-hmm. and institutional knowledge embedded in that in that one person's brain and when you lose them it's like a a a huge loss 
So whatever you can do to keep them, it's probably a, probably a worthwhile investment. Exactly. Yeah. So explain just a little bit more about your business model in terms of who is who is paying for it? Who is who is your actual customer? Your paying yeah. customer rather than your user. So our paying customer is the company itself. Our user is the working parent. And we've designed Kunik as I started, you know, my business partner Josh and I started looking into this issue. What we saw is there were companies like Patagonia who were doing an incredible job. They were few and far between and you can count them on your fingers. So very limited. But we also found that companies, you know, Facebook, Google companies with massive balance sheets were spending more money on parental support, but not necessarily in the ways that mattered most to working parents. So what we've designed at Kunik is our, you know, our biggest client is about 15,000 lives and our smallest client is about 75 lives. So it really scales a massive spectrum in terms of who our user is in terms of size, but they're all companies. So all of our, all of our, um, excuse me, who our customer is. So all of our customers are employers. That's who pays for it. Got it. And so if you, it, it, like, let's say we have a, a listener who's super interested in your services. What is the, what, what is the process like to get, to, 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 to get your, to get your services? Do they, do they, you know, go to their CFO or their, their you know, head of HR or whatever and be like, Hey, this is something that you should, that I want to do. You should buy it for me. Yeah. So we, we have a peer network that spans working parents mostly across the U.S., but there are some global members of that. And that's, you can go to Kutnik and, and sign up yourself if you're a working parent and you can join and access that community of thousands of working parents. And it's a, basically a private network that you can access, talk, there's forums. And we do do monthly Ask Me Anything sessions in there with our coaches. So there is a way to join as an individual. What you are missing out there is your private group for your company, the expert programming design for your company, and the other services that we offer to employers. But what we do see a lot is people join a peer network as an individual and then say, I'd like to get more of this. How do I do that? And we say, through your employer. And then they introduce us to their HR or to their DNI officer or to their CFO directly, depending on the company. And we then work with that company to provide more benefits for all working parents at that firm. But we do, yeah. we market directly to employers, but we often do see referrals come in from our users who have signed up on their own directly into their companies. Got it. And just before we go too much further, tell us just a little bit about the structure of your company in terms of headcount. And then obviously you have a lot of trained professionals. Are those employees or are those contractors? How does that work? So there's two co-founders, myself and Josh. We are full-time, fully dedicated to Kunik. We then have sales staff that we'll talk about that we hired during this pandemic, actually, who are working with us. We have full-time community manager who works with us. Then we have several freelance and part-time who work with us on the business side. So not related to the coaching at all, who do things, you know, marketing, some of our tech support, et cetera, who work with us all free, freelance. There's about 20 there. And then we work with over 150 expert coaches who are all contractors. Wow, that's a serious network. Yeah, it's a huge network. So, so it's a lot of people to keep track of. Yeah, yeah. So let's go ahead and start uh, laying down. Let's address the calendar of, of the situation here. So uh, you started when? 
When did when did we started start? about two years ago? Two about years ago, two and a half years ago. Yeah. Okay. And did you did you do a, a raise at all, or is this all bootstrapped? No, we've been self funded from the beginning. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse. For better it. or for worse, exactly. Yeah. And that gosh, that is something that I could I could talk all day about the the pros and cons of of uh, self financed growth because I know they're oh, they're you know the the real the real quick of you know the, the short of it is you get all the flexibility you get all the freedom because if you answer to no one other than maybe your other co-founder but it's it's pretty much just the two of you downside of course is there's a lot less stability and a lot less mm -hmm. resources to play with and you just have to be a lot more efficient from the get-go but you know it's not coincidental that we both came out of the finance world and have both dipped our toes in vc before this on the other side of the table and decided not to raise right away. It doesn't mean we will never raise, right. but we decided not to raise right away. And we had a lot of visibility into what that looks like. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. So thanks for, for hitting that head on. <laughs> um, so let's say it is January 1st, 2020. Uh, coronavirus is basically you know COVID-19. Obviously it started in 2019, but it is, at least for me, it was like nowhere near on my radar. It was like a, a, a blip in the news cycle. Oh, there's a there's the thing far away. So, mm -hmm. as those were the good old days, uh, what were your rev? What what were your goals for 2020 before COVID was ever on your radar? And you can address that from any sort of numerical quantitative standpoint, uh, if possible. Yeah, we were forecasting about half a million in revenue for that, bringing on hopefully around the goal is between 15 and 20 new clients in addition to our pilots. So we started about two and a half years ago. We did pivot a little bit. We were more consumer facing initially to build out that knowledge base and, and the network there. And then we had just started pivoting into what we always thought would be the core of our business, which is going directly to companies and selling B2B. We started pivoting into that in late 2019. So our forecast for 2020 were built off of our pilots. We did 10 pilot partners that we chose, you know, very specifically for different reasons in terms of how we were trying to build out industry experience, knowledge, and, and size of company that we were working with. And based on those, we were forecasting about half a million in revenue starting off the year. Okay. And so, so those numbers, 15 to 20 new, new clients is what you were looking for. Mm -hmm. And as how would those numbers, how would that revenue uh, number compared to 2019? 2019, our pilots were done on a very, okay. You're almost in at the ground level, almost covering our costs, I would right. say. Yeah. Essentially proof of concept. Exactly. We a, were an MVP proof of concept with like a smidge to mostly to cover our contractors. Honestly, Josh and I were okay. The way we budgeted it from our bootstrap perspective was Josh and I were okay. We had enough coverage for ourselves not to take anything home, but we need, we need to pay our contractors. They don't work for free. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, mostly the covering our contractors and freelancers and enough to, to, to pay for some more advertising. And that was about it in 2019. Yeah. The, the farther you go from the, from the founders, from the, the family of the founders, from the friends of the founders, the less goodwill is accepted as a form of payment. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right. And did you have, a, do you, uh, of course you do. What was your forecasted runway for how long you would go until you were starting to get 
uh, until you need to start getting paid? We were hoping to either have enough from revenue at the end, exceed our expectations for 2020, or we were looking to probably raise towards the end of 2020 going into 2021. We don't ever see it because we are B2B and there should be enough revenue generated from that business model based on our forecasting. We'll never be a company that needs to raise massive amounts of capital, but we will need to do a pre-seed seeds level fundraise of around 1.5 at some point here. We've just been trying to delay it, frankly, as long as we need to. Yeah, and we feel the further along we can be before needing to raise that, the better. I, I love it how you're just answering my questions before I can even get to them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> of course, you, you want to establish as much as much value as possible uh, in just in terms of just pure dollars, you know, uh, and that which will then make you uh, make your your valuation that much higher and you can give up that much less equity when you exactly. get to your raise. And of course, we'll definitely get to how the, the fundraising landscape may be changing <laughs> maybe as a result of COVID. <laughs> so I feel like we have a, a pretty good groundwork laid here to get to our mid-COVID set. But before we do that, as always, we're going to have our guest's unsponsor of the day. Uh, the unsponsor is an awesome company run by awesome people who make an awesome product, but might not have the budget to, say, advertise on super amazing wide uh, mainstream podcasts. So with that being said, uh, who is today's show not brought to us by? Yeah, I am psyched about this company. There, it's not a product, but it's a service company like Kunik is, and it's called Umbrella. Their website is Ask Umbrella. And the reason I'm so psyched about them is they sit kind of at the opposite end of what Kunik does. So we work with future generations, right? We're working with parents and their kids. And this is about parents and their parents. So it's about helping the elderly in our community, which was always an interesting idea before this because there's I mean you can go on for days about how the elderly get ignored in this country but it's become so relevant during Kunik as these people can't leave their houses as they are the most vulnerable and I've been following this company founded by Lindsay Ullman I've been following them and their growth during Kunik and how during Kunik during COVID and how they are helping these seniors and the amount of community support and engagement that they are getting and volunteers is incredible so if you have elderly friends, relatives, whomever, anywhere across the country, this is the way to get them the services they need, the food they need, supplies they need from community volunteers who are out there helping. And the company is not charging anything right now. Their revenues, I'm sure, have taken a, a, you know, a chainsaw to them. They're not taking any commissions, any money on this right now. They are just genuinely out there trying to help the most vulnerable population during a nationwide pandemic. So I think they are an incredible way to help anybody in your community that needs or volunteer for them. If you've got time and, and you want to volunteer bringing seniors in your community, what they need. Wow. What a, what a great mission and what a, <laughs> what an incredibly uh, relevant unsponsor. Thanks so much <laughs> Umbrella for not sponsoring the show. So moving back to the, the calendar uh, aspect of this, let's say, it's March 1st and things are, are still going well, but now there's the first uh, COVID-related death on American soil. Walk me through your March and your April. Yeah, I think like a lot of people out there, we had no idea how bad this was going to get, how deep it was going to cut anything. 
And what was interesting is in March, we started getting a lot of, hey, can we push our meetings? Hey, uh, I know we've been sitting on this proposal, but we need a couple more weeks. And we started thinking, what is going on? And then we started having an LOI canceled. We are looking at budget cuts because our, you know, our leadership, our CEO and C-suite is getting concerned about what COVID is going to impact on our business. And that was the first company that said that to us was a large travel company where people can stay in other people's homes. And they said, <laughs> we're going to need to hold on this LOI. We're not going to be able to meet the terms of this LOI right now. And we need to hold. And we thought, that's a real bummer, but you know, we'll go, we'll keep hitting the pavement. We're a startup, we're scrappy, we'll keep getting out there. Right. And from March to May, we had 12 LOIs go like that. that and, were an, company. and an LOI for those of us. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, it was a, it, basically, you can call it a pre contract contract, is the way to think about it. So it was that we had talked to these companies, we had set up, you know, the kind of support that they were going to be doing on an annual basis for their next benefit cycle. When you work with a company on their benefits, usually your company, if you are an employee at X company, your company is looking at your next year's benefits about six months in advance. So the selling cycle starts quite in advance of when the contract actually kicks in. So most of these were contracts that would really kick in about six months down the line, but you start signing with these companies early. And so an LOI is a way to set up terms and an agreement and you continue to finesse that and then sign the actual contract. And we had 12 of those in a two month period that said, you know, thanks, we'd love to work with you, but this is not the time. And what we started seeing was companies just go radio silent. Right. Across the board, starting in mid-March. So LOI is like a, a formalized letter of interest. It's, oh, yeah. Sorry. It's, yeah. I, I didn't know why you wanted to be excited on that. Yeah. Yes. It's a formalized letter of interest that both parties sign that comes to agreements in terms of terms of, of how your services are going to be provided to them at what cost, for what duration, et cetera. Right. And so you had 12 of those. Uh, and then basically the not surprising as the entire economy, community, country, world. I, I don't know if there's uh, a statement that can be too big here, but basically no one knew, no one had been through this before and except for maybe like your great, great grandmother in, you know, 1918 in the Spanish flu. So assuming you hadn't been through a worldwide pandemic like this before, you don't know how to relate. You don't know what to expect. So what do you do? You are you, everyone becomes a turtle. Everyone like pull, you know pulls right. back into their shell, goes super conservative, and kind of just start uh, applies the wait and see approach. So it's not surprising that you it's would not, be experiencing not surprising. That. It happened faster than what I would say about that is. I think companies, especially coming off of 08, we're a lot faster to grow into that shell, to turtle up, to, to freeze than consumers. Because what we had was parents reaching out to us and saying, oh, my company is working from home. It'll probably be a two to three week situation going on six months, but it'll probably oh, be a two times, to three week yeah. situation. And so now I'm going to have my kid home because my daycare closed. Do you have any experts who help with this? Or how are you guys, you know, how are you talking about this? And, and so, it was, you know, individuals were still trying to figure out how you know what was going to happen but companies froze their budgets on a dime and i think a lot of that was coming out of 08 people were very quick to react at a company level much faster than at an individual level yeah 
I mean, that that makes sense, right? You have that uh, that institutional memory of exactly of everything that happened in, in uh, the Great Recession. So it's interesting that you would see uh, a pullback or a, a pause or yeah, or at least at the very least a delay in converting these LOIs to actual contracts and therefore money making endeavors. Right. What's interesting is that the the economy is trying to adjust and navigate to schools being closed and creating this absolute nightmare for people who were counting on their public school system to essentially provide free, I put that in quotes, because uh, obviously like, your tax money is paying for it, but free childcare. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it, the, the, it seems like there will inevitably be a higher need for your services. It's just a matter of if there is an actual demand from the from the payer for those services. Mm -hmm. uh, so there were those first two months where, okay, things came to kind of a grinding halt. You probably still had those contracts in place. So did, did you have any existing contracts get canceled? Yeah, we had about four and a half. I would call it. One dramatically changed what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other four canceled, flat out canceled, you know, force majeure, this is out of our hands. We got to cancel this contract. Yeah. But I will tell you, we saw those things canceled. We also had sky high inbound interest from companies that we were not reaching out to, that we were not contacting saying, our working parents are really gonna have a hard time here. And those were companies that were thinking down the line and they said, our, our, you know, we don't see this being a two week problem, we see this being longer and our working parents are going to be in this serious trouble with this. What do you guys do for working parents? Now, those companies were not ready to, what we had in, in March and April was a flurry of people trying to get information. And I think that was across the board, right? Nobody had information on anything, the disease side, the work side, the school side. But we had a lot of people reaching out, trying to figure out what their options were. And these are HR teams whose budgets were frozen. So they couldn't actually put anything to place, but they were trying to do a lot of informational and figure out what's there so that when they found their footing and when they were more stable, they were ready to move quickly. So we had a, a simultaneous it's weird because on the one side, we're getting all of this inbound new companies contacting us. On the other side, everybody's canceling everything. And all that inbound was all information seeking. And they were very upfront about the fact that our budgets are frozen, but we need to know what we can do when we unfreeze those. So it was a, it's been a weird waiting game there. Yeah. And that, that all totally makes sense that companies are trying to adjust their, their forecasts for revenue for the rest of the year. I can't remember what company it was. I want to say it, it could have been a cruise line, I think. Someone who they they just uh they decided to completely forego like their Q3 guidance. Uh because so like if you're a publicly traded company, you are supposed to basically come out and like be very forthright with what your numbers are and what you're forecasting. Yeah. And you know, when you whenever you hear like, oh, Netflix beat expectations, blah, 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 and, and you know, and as a result they're up like two point three percent. Okay, great. That is because they, you know, heading into a period of time, a you know, the at, at the end of June they were saying, Hey, from July through uh through October, we think we're gonna grow. X amount or through September, we're going to, we're going to grow X amount. Right. Okay, great. 
there are companies that literally are, you know, they're Fortune 500 companies who are like, we have no effing idea what is going on. And so you, if you think it's, it's weird to think about this, but like investing in your people through supporting the, your working parents, that's still an investment. And so just like all other investments, you're, you're recoiling into that turtle shell and you're saying, Hey, we're just gonna put all investments on pause. Mm -hmm. So that totally makes sense. And, and just for, uh, for context, when you say four and a half contracts were canceled out of how many contracts? Six. <laughs> out of six. Oh my God. Okay. Wow. Uh, so, so everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the the record on the show is someone saw a one hundred percent decline in revenue. Right um, up there. <laughs> right up there. Okay. Yeah. So we, I know my company. We, you know, we we saw things in somewhere in like the 80 percent uh, decline, and, and are slowly, slowly working our way back to that. Uh, you know. I don't know how long it'll be before we get back to those those pre-COVID numbers. How has this? Uh, how have you adjusted your forecasting, and what have you seen, and like just from a pure dollars and cents point, uh, in terms of a, a recovery? Are, are yeah. people unfreezing? So are, are they unfreezing HR's budgets? Yes, and quickly, and, and people are trying to move fast to the point where our 2020 projections are still way down. I, you know, we're we're hesitant to even really make 2020 projections because the rate at which companies are are unfreezing is inconsistent at best. Our 2021 projections, we actually bumped up 10% because we have that much confidence and and where things are going. So 2021, we bumped up 10% on on what we were projecting. 2020, we're we're really in a let's see what we can make happen uh, mode, but don't have really to be frank, we don't have clear projections on that. We leaned deep into this though. We had four and a half out of six contracts canceled. We had 12 LOIs canceled and we went out and hired on, on that. So we, some people probably think we're insane. So we had everything wiped out. We had our projections go down, you know, 90%. And we went out and hired two people to work with us on sales because from our perspective, everything you're saying is right. That it is an investment. It makes sense to protect your talent. Even if you are furloughing or laying off your talent, you want to protect the top talent that's there. What we saw in, in 08 and in other recessions is that the companies that treated their employees the best, the companies that supported their talent the most were the companies that did the best on the other side of those recessions. And I think there is a lot of institutional learning that came out of 08. And I think that is one of the learnings that came out of it. Yes, be protective. Yes, go into the turtle shell. But you better take care of the people who are going to be there working for you on the other side of this too. And so we leaned heavily into that philosophy and hired two salespeople thinking, okay, we are way down, but this is going to be a time to go on the offensive and not the defensive for us. That seems like the right move to make if you have the resources to support that. Which Yeah, I'll can... tell you, my husband, my one-year-old son, and my unborn baby are definitely questioning that decision right now. Yeah. But... <laughs> we'll see where things go but we i have i am uh the great part about my partnership with josh my co-founder and we have a truly fantastic and symbiotic partnership which i feel incredibly grateful for is i am big picture move fast take no prisoners and josh is but i think we actually flipped the gender roles or the 
you know, the perceived gender mm-hmm. roles, mm-hmm. does all of our branding, marketing, design. I could make a website that was a square black box with one word in it and be like, this looks great. I mean, I mm-hmm. have zero sense of design or anything. And he's much more patient and paced out. And so I'm over there saying, we got to hire, we got to hire. And he's saying, on what money? <laughs> and so right. we balance each other like that. But we ended up leaning into it with, with two hires who we brought on. And you know, what was great for us is a lot of people were getting rid of a lot of fantastic salespeople then. They were getting, they were some of the first to get furloughed and, and laid off from companies. And we scooped up two from sort of competitors, similar space that we're incredibly excited about. And, and so far in terms of interest coming in the door that they're generating, they're doing a fantastic job. And you mentioned that the sales cycle is normally really, really long. It's usually, you know, completed six months before the following year. So you're you're looking at you're basically selling twelve months worth of revenue six but months. But not during this. This is right. everything that's normal for a B2B is gone. So that's what I was gonna say. Are, are, is there any sort of normal and consistency out of this, or is it just like all over the place? Like you still have people who have no idea what they're gonna be doing, what their revenues to be doing, and then you also have people who are maybe potentially accelerating that sales mm-hmm. cycle and working to adjust quickly. Absolutely, and so we've had to pivot and change. You know how our pricing works, what our product looks like. We've created an entire COVID package around this. We everything we've gone to is immediate solutions, immediate implementation. We used to work on a much more long, long vision. So both in terms of the sales and how we were structuring our support cycle and everything's condensed. So all of the people we're talking to now are looking to get something up and running. We had a client who signed with us recently. We got their coaching and their community started in under a week. So these are people who are looking to put something into place today. And that's because the the rate of burnout and stress and anxiety that they are seeing from their parents is already through the roof. There's very little out there to support these parents right now. And we're looking at a completely uncertain fall. So any kind of respite that you thought you were getting this fall with kids going back to school, even if you're in a district where your schools are gonna open, you don't know how long they're gonna stay open. How many cases is it gonna take to close it? What happens if kids have to get fever checked every time they come in the door? So it's, you know, whether or not your school opens or not is not really the question because it's going to be inconsistent throughout. I mean, we, we talked to an employer in New York who has kids through their employees, they have kids in over 60 different school districts because they're, you know, have people in New Jersey and Connecticut and upstate and all of the boroughs and in public schools and in private schools. So their HR calculated 60 different school districts. I mean, you can't create one policy for a company when you have kids in 60 different school districts. And so that's what, you know, companies are trying to figure out, okay, so what are ways that we can do it that's both customized and holistic across our whole company, knowing that then nothing is going to stay consistent this fall. And I think that's that's where we've started seeing it's it's what how you started the show. It's not this is not ending and it's certainly not going to end from the working parent side either. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the the consistent theme of this show in general but specifically today is just uncertainty at all levels. And how do you yeah. adjust to that? How do you adjust to that and and nail down the things that you can to create some consistency, which is generally what most businesses thrive off of, right? You, yeah. If you if you know what's coming, then you can predict and plan accordingly. And where we are right now as a country is just like the the height of uncertainty, right? You have yeah. uh, you have 
like there's just some anecdotes that I'm hearing in, in my life is like I stay in contact with my with my college water polo coach and it's like okay they are they're ca- they're they're canceled for the fall but they might have an abbreviated season in the spring but then you have powerhouse schools like uh you know Alabama where and I've heard lots of other podcasts talk about this like uh marketplace and and um planet money and and I think they they did a set segment on how those these big giant football schools how they totally rely on having in person uh, events because that's where all that's where all the revenue comes from. Exactly. So, so so on a college level, like you have just you have uh, no agreement on what's happening, right? You have some schools that are just like, nope, fall season totally canceled. Some of you are going to work from home. Some of you are going to or some of you are going to are going to telecommute. Some of you are going to come to campus and then you have that just playing out basically all over the country with uh, the secretary of education, Betsy DeVos, saying, well, everyone needs to open. I don't really have a plan for you, but everyone needs to open or funding, (laughs) right, or funding. Uh, Then you have the president threatening to and and whether he actually has the authority to do this is uh, up for debate, but uh, threatening to pull back on funding for schools that don't reopen. There's just, but then you have, you know, COVID cases continuing to trend upward in, I think the last thing I saw was 44 states are still trending upwards. Like that's, that's an insane number, right? Like we have this nowhere near uh, under control. And so one thing that is getting a ton of news coverage is what is, what are the economic ramifications of schools not being open? Right. Because it is. And it's funny because you think of schools like what's what's the primary uh, purpose of schools? It's to educate the children. Right. Well, it seems like right now the primary focus of opening schools is just to allow the workforce to continue to work. No question. We cannot keep running as a workforce if we do not get these kids back in school. But there isn't a great way to open them right now or a safe way to open them right now. And the problem is that we have, you know, more working parents, more dual income homes, more working moms than we've ever had before. And the deal that we made as working mothers is that this country isn't great for working parents. We have no federal paid leave. We have no guaranteed childcare under five because we don't guarantee any kind of pre-K. But at a minimum, we have public schools when you are five and older, and we don't even have that anymore. So we have ripped off, you know, for too long, working parents have been shouldering this burden alone. And I think one of the clearest signs of that is that before COVID, when I was selling to companies, I spoke with hundreds of HR departments. I did not speak with a single HR department ever who could tell me, even in a ballpark, how many working parents they have. And that's because it's not a segment of, the, of your population at work that you track. You know other segments of your population, other you know minority groups that you deem need more support or additional support. And in many ways, as we talk about diversity and inclusion being a bigger part of the workforce right now, Parenthood is that. That is the mother of all DNI. It connects across every employee resource group you have, every minority group you have at work. There's going to be parents in there. And that's Kunick's built to support those parents, whether they're coming from the veterans group, the LGBTQ group, the Latino group, the black group. There's going to be parents in there. And yet, parenthood is never tracked at work. And right now, what we're seeing is companies are realizing they have significantly more parents than they ever thought they had. And they're realizing that they can't these parents can't come back to the office and opening optionally is what a lot of companies have landed on as the best option. But that goes back to all of the issues that you were talking about in the beginning that are 
we're already issues going into this, the gender gap in terms of where people get in seniority and the pay gap. And if you open the office optionally and the last people back in their seats at the office are working moms because they have to stay home with their kids because the schools aren't open. And so they're missing the networking. They are missing the, you know, how products get assigned. They are missing the promotion cycles. And then they're the last people back in the office and they suffer from out of sight, out of mind. You're going to potentially wipe out an entire generation of progress in terms of working moms making any progress towards closing those gaps. Yeah, one of the stats that I, I saw recently was if schools were to remain closed, that 40% of women would leave their jobs to stay at home. I have no doubt. The polls in March showed 6% were thinking, and the polls in June showed 32% were thinking of leaving. So, And that's from March to June. And the longer this goes on, the higher that number is going to go. Right. And then, obviously, the, the longer people are out of the workforce the harder it is to get back into the workforce. Every stat shows every additional month that you are out decreases your likelihood of going back, decreases the salary at which you go back, and decreases the seniority position at which you go back. Every month. Wow. So when I first started... <laughs> You're looking great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so not to gloss over that, but what I was going to say was that when we first started the show, we had the three segments. We had the pre-COVID, mid-COVID, and post-COVID. Uh, since post-COVID is essentially, uh, you know, who knows? Like, I, I thought this podcast was... was I, I thought it was going to be done with this by now when I first started. Because, <laughs> like, we were so naive back then. We were like, oh, yeah, you know just a couple of weeks and then you know that turned into okay just a couple of months and at this point when people talk about things like hey we're we're rescheduling our event for x or y like when this first started my wife rescheduled she runs a nonprofit and she rescheduled their big fundraiser for august because that seemed like a total that seemed like seems overkill safe. when they, yeah, yeah. seems safe exactly and now it's like well that's virtual that's online and when people start when people talk about running things in September, October, November, you're like, well, why, why would that, like, that seems crazy to me, even though that's still, yeah. you know, four or five months away, January, February, like, there's just no planning, because this, this thing is just, like, it's going to be years of impact, for sure. So let's bring that back to you, how, and essentially, the, the post COVID set is now, how are you adjusting to this new normal? And how will it affect you moving, moving forward? I know you've hired people. I know the sales mm -hmm. cycle is quicker. Are there other mm -hmm. structural changes to your business model that you are making to adjust to this uh, way or word of new normal? I know we we have got to find a better way to say that because I can't keep saying it, so but there isn't a better way yet. I know. Uh, yeah, absolutely is the answer. So we have pivoted what our products are as well. We've now introduced, you know, this rapid implementation, immediate support system that's much more holistic. We used to focus all of our resources on the parent themselves. What we're realizing through COVID is that supporting the working parent means supporting the whole company because managers also were not hired into the skill set that it takes to support a remote team, to build culture remotely, to deal with, you know, people who are facing massive burnout. This isn't what they were assessed on when they became managers, and it's not usually what learning and development training focuses on. So we've added a huge segment of our coaching to focus on the managers, whether they have working parents on their team or not, how to manage effectively remotely. 
we've added a significant amount on the kids themselves. It used to be much more focused on, on just the parents, but we've had to add additional support services in there for the parents. And then a lot of the coaching that we were doing, what we were seeing from the, the companies that were using us is that we, when we do a group, all of our coaching is group focused for many reasons. One cost to it, it allows people to learn together and three, it builds community. What we were seeing is all of those sessions are recorded and given back to a company and companies were asking us, can we share these group wide? Because we have a lot of coaches who work on remote work productivity. And so what we're seeing is while parents themselves certainly have a very acute need for support right now and under immense pressure and are probably your most vulnerable employees, all of your employees are struggling. So we've added you know, segments of our COVID support to support managers, to support firm wide, to support kids and to support parents. So that's been a big shift in how we work with our contractors, how we design our coaching, how we design our programming. We've also started offering more directly to our consumers because what we're seeing is the whole mission behind this is to support working parents, to help working parents actually make the juggle of parenthood and work feasible and with the ultimate goal of closing the gender gap, of decreasing the wage gap. So what we're seeing is if companies are slow to act, we don't want individuals to miss out on these services that they need right now. So we've started offering a lot of our coaching directly to consumers where they can form groups and access this together. And then the last thing that we're really excited about is we're working with um, a couple of partners right now to test out uh, shared childcare solutions for the fall. So that's grouping, not just within one company, but within where our pilot case is actually in Boston and we're working with several companies in the Boston area to help those employers match their working parents with other working parents who live near them, have kids of the same ages, who have the same needs, and then we're connecting them with providers for tutors or for uh, child care support because whether or not they're back in school, there's going to be a lot of gaps that need to be filled. And so we're thinking that you have to go more micro on that right now. And so that's very much in pilot phase, but we're really excited about it. It seems like you have a incredible grasp of all of the or, or or of i don't know if anyone could have a grasp of it all but uh of, of many of the of the issues that are facing uh working parents right now you are still a small company that is only recently evolved out of the mvp stage is there any worry that you are biting off more than you can chew I feel like Josh prepped you for that question. <laughs> that is constantly my Josh, come on worry. out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That is constantly his worry. Listen, I, I quite possibly yes. And I'm somebody who, who does that in life in general. I tend to bite off a lot more than I can chew. I think a lot of, I, a lot of startup people do. Um, I, I think yes. We're also talking to a lot of companies out there on partnerships. And I think a lot of our focus before this was having to educate employers on why working parents would need support and why that's something the employer should be providing. And this wiped out that entire need. We do not need to educate employers anymore. We do not need to explain why supporting working parents makes sense. And we don't need to explain how many working parents you have at your company. And so if there's ever a time that a company that supports working parents is going to make it, this is it. And my ultimate goal there is to get these parents the most support they need. And I truly believe if we cannot find some childcare solutions here, and I'm not providing the childcare, I, that's heavily regulated. I'm not dipping my toe in that industry. But if we can't help parents figure out how to navigate these conversations, how to set some ground rules, how to form these, I feel that our services are, are too incomplete because giving them coaching and support is fantastic, but we need to give them some, some solutions that give them back time 
And the only way to give them back time is to have somebody else watching their children. Right. It sounds like there are so many additional layers of complexity. There is a much more educated consumer base. And by consumer base, I mean the people who are actually paying your bills, the, mm -hmm. the companies, right? So if you don't need to educate them anymore, and there are now so many more opportunities and, and services that are required, it sounds like the market just got a whole lot bigger you know, like the, like the the market cap of this of the entire uh, service of of helping companies deal, you know, navigate with uh, uh, working parents. It sounds like there's a whole lot more like just opportunity to make money. It's just a matter of you know finding yeah. the thing that that's truly gonna um, that's gonna a bring in money soon, and then b kind of capitalize on on all of those opportunities. And where you can really do it, and that's why we are talking to other partners. I am. Collaboration is key to, I think, success mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur. And so we're talking to companies that in, you know, January, we might have seen as competitors. And here we're saying, hey, you have density there. I have density here. What can we do together to, to bring this, you know, to provide these things? And I think the focus right now is if you are a company who started in the parenting space, nine times out of 10, every founder I talk to is a working parent themselves, mother or father. And so we feel deeply what this is doing to to working parents physically psychologically emotionally everything and so i'm seeing you know i come out of finance like i said where it's competition all the time within this space right now i'm seeing every founder in the ad zone talking to each other collaborating sharing information and that's really exciting too so we may have bitten off a little more than we can chew but we're not doing it alone and we're trying to work with others on it and is that going to decrease my revenue? Sure. Absolutely. Without a doubt. But is it going to get services out there to more working parents who need it? You bet. Right. And it, it could, I think a collaboration in, in, especially now it might reduce revenue, but it's going to, it's also going to reduce risk. I think it's going to reduce risk and it, and it could long-term create huge gains down the road. Nobody knows, but yeah, but it, it's in a time where it's hard to to not try and figure out how you can maximize that when you're in a service industry that's about providing support. If there's ever a time in a national crisis is when you're going to think about maximizing that support, whether or not that is the absolute maximum dollar revenue you can bring in or not. Right. And just again, going back to the theme of the show, just being uncertainty there's so much uh, of, this is all like such a novel experience that it seems like so many of the policies and practices that you are that you will be working with are being they just like they have to be invented essentially right now and like they, you might have templates but you're like they're just requiring like overhaul just because this is all so unprecedented but absolutely yeah what I what I am excited about though is how the the market opportunity seems to be so much bigger and and the thing perhaps that I will be thinking about most as I walk away from this interview and, and go back to my my day to day is how your work or how your your paying customer is going to be more educated. I just think that's yeah that is just so great for for you and, and your business and it's it's. <sighs> one of the the silver linings i guess or or things that is just kind of something to to noodle on is all of the things that are being accelerated by this 
by the, by the pandemic, by the by the work from home, you know, like yes, people were starting to potentially work from home more, or you know, remote life was becoming more normalized. But it was like a hey, you you know, work from home Fridays or or whatever. And it's like there are just so many things in our that I think are just like fascinating to think about that are being accelerated like 20, 30 years what they would have been in, in a non-COVID world. And Absolutely. one of yeah, and and this is obviously one of those one of those industries. Yeah, people love to talk about the future of work, and the future of work just got thrown on us all now, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, as we kind of come to an end here, if people if 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 they like if they, if they're catching what you're throwing, what is the what is the best way to utilize your services? Yeah, as an individual or as an employer, you can go to get Kunik. K-U-N-I-K dot com. And you can sign up as an employer to get more information or as an individual to join our peer network and then access our coaching. And they can also always email me at Liz at getkunik.com. Love it. Uh, well, I'm certainly excited to have you back on the show in like, I don't know, three months, six months, 12 months, something. And, and to hear like, oh yeah, we absolutely crushed our non-existent forecasts uh, because <laughs> the, the buyers, they got it. They accelerated the sales cycle. And not only did they accelerate the sales cycle, but they doubled the amount of goods that they and services that they bought from us because, because. I'm hoping I'm going to take that positive energy forward with us. <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, Liz, thank you so much for being on the show and I can't wait to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you to Liz Golliver for being on the show. If you were feeling stressed about working and parenting in a pandemic, or in general, check out getkunik.com. Time for my unsponsor. Today's show is not brought to you by The Wise Consumer Podcast. The show is a series of interviews with amazing entrepreneurs whose mission it is to use their businesses as forces for good. Basically, it's an entertaining and hopeful way to learn that not all businesses are Walmart, and it is possible to be a good person and business owner, and still make a profit. And full disclosure, I was her first episode guest. Check out smallbizgoneviral.com for all episodes and updates, but more importantly, and seriously, go there and tell me who I should interview next, what you like and loathe about this show, and then go lie and rate this five stars either way and say you love it on any and all public forums, specifically Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thank you, Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates for use of their song Geronimo. Thank you to Pasty Design for being the only reason my website looks professional. All stats and stories today come from worldometer.com, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Morning Brew, Robin Hood Snacks, and NPR. If you know any small business owners who are going through a tough time right now, share this podcast with them just so they know they are not alone. Someday this will all be over. Until then, stay safe, stay socially distant, and just wear a freaking mask. From my windowless office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and produced before work hours, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And we're back for our new segment, a lightning round of questions this is kind of your bonus segment. Thanks for listening to my unsponsor and our boring thank yous, blah, blah, blah. So we're back with Liz and we have four quick questions for her. Liz, 
One, what is your least favorite question about your business to receive at a party and why? You know, it, it goes to what we we're talking about on the show. Do working parents actually need support? And why is that the responsibility of the employer? And I get that question all the time when I say what I do, but I don't know that I'm going to get that question going forward. Haven't been to a cocktail party since March, so <laughs> <laughs> time will tell. Uh, what are some common misconceptions about your business? That we are a mommy business and that we work with with moms who are thinking of working, not moms and dads and all parents who are currently in the workforce. What is your least favorite part about being an entrepreneur? There are so many balls in the air all the time that I know a lot of important things slip through the cracks and that drives me nuts. I, I, I hear you on that one. And because we want to end this show on a positive note, what is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? Oh, all the people you meet easily. I meet fascinating people through being an entrepreneur because everybody's always trying to connect you with other entrepreneurs or other podcasters or whoever it is. And I, I love that. I, I love the specific shout out to, to podcasters. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. That's it. And this time I mean it. Bye, Liz. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.